This episode of the PolicyViz podcast is brought to you by Socrata. Socrata is the global leader in software solutions that are designed exclusively for digital government. They deliver unprecedented data-driven innovation and cost savings for hundreds of public sector leaders and millions of their constituents around the world. Socrata's digital government solutions are being deployed for a wide array of strategic and mission-critical government services that empower citizens while enhancing their quality of life. To learn more about Socrata, visit www.socrata.com. Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. This week, I'm here with Chris Ingraham, reporter for the Washington Post. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, thanks for being here. We're going to jump right into it because there's lots of good stuff to talk about because I think, um, well, I think probably everybody's a big fan of the work that you're doing over the Post. Um, really enjoy the posts that you're, that you're writing for Wonkblog. So, Maybe I'll start by asking you to briefly sort of give the listeners your background a little bit, because you and I met before you were at The Post, so maybe uh, folks would be interested in where you came from. Yeah, back in the nonprofit days. Yeah, yeah, my background is all over the place, and you've probably run into this with you know people in this field who you talk to having backgrounds that are just all over the place. I was a liberal arts major. I worked as a technical writer. I worked as a, as a web marketer. I did all kinds of stuff. I started doing the data viz stuff um, in D.C. I worked at the Pew Research Center for a while. Spent uh, about two years there doing web stuff. And they had a need for This was like 2007, 2008, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, did people even know what charts were back then? I don't think so. <laughs> so, I mean, people you know, got the notion that, oh, we should be doing more visual charts. So I just started doing that because I had some design background. Yeah. Um, from there, I went on to Brookings to do data viz stuff full time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I got cut my teeth doing more interactive coding and development. And right. this right. was like, so this was like 2011. So this was right in the transition when like Flash was going away and like people were trying to figure out what they could do in the browser without Flash. So that was a pretty uh, kind of a strange and interesting time from a data viz standpoint. Right. And then I came here to the post in, uh, Let's see, 2014. Right. And so now at The Post, you are, at this point, I think, exclusively writing for Wonkblog. That's correct. So I actually, I came in through the graphics department here at The Post. They actually, they wanted somebody with some data background to do, to do graphics for all of their blogs, basically, and to kind of be detailed out to various blogs. Um, but when I came in, it actually happened to be right at the moment when the prior Wonk Blog crew, they all departed and left to found Vox.com. So all of a sudden mm-hmm. they had this big need for just, you know, graphics and stories and everything for Wonk Blog. So I started out there and it worked out really well. And so they just kept me at Wonk Blog full time. And so these days I'm doing, doing probably more just straight up writing and reporting than I am doing, you know, traditional graphics and even coding stuff. Right. So let's... Um so you and I are both inside the Beltway. So for those of us, for those listeners who are outside the Beltway, who may not be as familiar with Wonk Blog, mm-hmm. uh, how would you uh, describe describe the the goals and the content that you guys are posting? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. That's <laughs> that's a question that we pose to ourselves. I think on at least a weekly basis. We're essentially we're we're a policy blog. So we we write about. 
um, you know, policy and ideas that are kind of in the national conversation about politics, you know, Ben Carson's tax plan or mm -hmm. uh, Donald Trump's immigration plan to the extent that he has one. Um, so we're talking about policy, but we're trying to do it. And I think this is more of a recent development, more from a data driven standpoint. Right. So if there's a question idea in the news, uh, for me specifically, and for a lot of other blog writers too, the first question we have is, well, is there any data that speaks to this? And, and is there any data that speaks to this given claim that this candidate is making or that, you know, that, uh, you know, people are debating? So that's kind of the bread and butter of what we do. Mm -hmm. um, and we also spend, and the, uh, this applies again to me uh, a lot, is we're just looking for interesting data and interesting ideas, um, interesting research that can be highlighted. Uh, yeah. Basically anything from kind of a quantitative standpoint that we can, that, that, that says something interesting about, you know, the world or politics or what have you. Yeah. All right. So I want to come back to the, to the lighter stuff and sort of the unique data. But first talk about this, this idea of bringing data to talk about some of the, you know, some of the, the bigger issues of the day. How does, does the rest of the, does a rest, so I hear this a lot from sort of bloggers who are in your sort of area, you know, folks at, at Vox, folks at 538. But how does that differ from the rest of the posts or the other blogs that are going on? It seems like a lot of those, um, a lot of those stories should also be rooted in data. Yeah, you'd think so. You know, and I think I think the I, I think newsrooms and I think media groups in general they're becoming, you know, your typical beat reporter and politics reporters are, have become a lot more comfortable with data in general over the past few years. But. At, and it's hard for me to, to accurately look at this because this is, uh, you know, I've been so steeped in this for the past few years. But it didn't always used to be that way, I don't think. I mm -hmm. think, you know, I, I think a lot of that changed in the last election cycle with 538 um, and with this sense of, you know, getting past, you know, pundits' gut instincts and yeah. gut feelings. Right. To you know, get, you know, putting some actual quantifiable data, or the other, the other, uh, the leg of that too is a just political science and social science and not necessarily, you know, finding a chart to assess a given claim, but seeing, well, you know, there are people who have been studying this in academia for, you know, dozens of years now. And so what do they say? And so it's, we're trying to provide a, a bit more in-depth coverage in, in a lot of situations of, uh, of campaigns and policy ideas and big policy debates. And so I imagine now every time I visit uh, any newsroom, I sort of have, um, sort of like the Hollywood version where everybody's going to be yelling at each other. But, of course, it's, it's a little bit different than that. It seems to be uh, yeah. quieter. But, but at the Post, at least, it's sort of a huge, at least one of the floors that I've been on, is just sort of a huge room. So are you, are, is there a lot of collaboration or um, sort of working across the different platforms? It seems like if you're doing some uh, data work, let's just take one of the, you know, any candidate's tax plan, and you're really digging into the data, you've pulled it, from Brookings and from Urban and from all the different places that are talking about it. Are you working with reporters who are maybe working on a cover story for A1? Are you, are you sort of providing information to them and back and forth? Or are they sort of siloed off? Um, there, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a tricky question in any organization. Yeah. I, think, I think newsrooms, and I think I certainly experience this in nonprofits too, there's still a lot of balkanization in yes. silos. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, this was, you know, this is true at nonprofits I worked at. Um, 
I'll say here that they've been they've been actively trying uh, and trying very hard to break down some of these barriers. And one of the interesting things that we're doing here is we have, I mean, in addition to people like myself, guys like Philip Bump, who does yep. stuff similar to what I do with a strictly politics focus. Um, in addition to those, the you know the posts like most newsrooms, we have an entire huge graphics department that does absolutely you know amazing uh, data-driven work, both static and interactive. And one thing that they're doing now is they're uh, at least with Wonklog, they're you know we're taking uh, uh, graphics artists and developers and embedding them with Wonklog for you know a couple of weeks at a time to get oh, them right. directly with us and to kind of have that nexus uh, between graphics and between stories and that's kind of the idea is we're trying to try we want to get the entire newsroom thinking more visually Mm -hmm. i think um and i think that's one way that we're experimenting trying to do that right um but yeah i mean it is tricky i mean sometimes you know sometimes the inevitable happens where i'm working on a story and like somebody in the education department if i'm working on education data somebody in the education department is working on a similar story sure sure, Um, you know, and that that happens anytime. But it's I, I think we've rarely I can't even think of one where we run into a situation where like two people inadvertently wrote the exact same story more yeah, or less. Right. Like even dealing with the same data set, there's so many different ways to go at it. Mm-hmm. And you know, with Wonklog, we're a blog and so you know, a lot of time I'm just trying to do something really short and quick. Like for instance with this there was this big education data release over right. the weekend, right? Yep. You're probably familiar yep. with it. Um, all this interesting new higher ed data, and there, I mean, there's like, there's, I mean, you could, uh, you could keep yourself busy for a year doing stuff yeah. with that data and writing stories off of it. I kind of wanted to familiarize myself with it, and so I just did a really tiny slice of it. I just looked at some uh, salary data among Ivy League colleges, and I just did a really short, punchy uh, post that was two charts and maybe 350, 400 words of text, and that's mm-hmm. kind of like a lot of our bread and butter. And that's going to be very different from what our the folks in our education department do, where they're writing a traditional A1 story, they're diving in, getting really deep into the context of the data behind it, any controversies behind releasing it, what it all means, et cetera, et cetera. Right. All right, so this is good. This is a good segue because I want to talk about some of the lighter stuff that you do because I think... Um, well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'd be curious if I grabbed a random sampling of your readers, what they sort of, uh, what they sort of thought yeah, of your, your I, like I bread and that. butter. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you, you tend, I mean, of, of, uh, aside from sort of the, the heavier stuff you, of my reading, it seems like you try to find the unique, uh, off the beaten path sort of data that sort of maybe it's hard to find, or maybe people just haven't used it. And then you also do these fun sort of things that are, you know, here's a map of the United States of county level map and guess what I'm plotting or here's a line graph and sort of guess what I'm plotting. So what sort of drives you to to do that sort of thing and and how do you feel that it fits within this sort of larger wonk blog um, goal of, of, of data driven uh, research and, and storytelling? Yeah, so I, I definitely, I mean, you, yeah, as you've noticed, I love doing more lighthearted stuff. And, I, you know, I think it's just, it's fun to do as a writer. And I think, I think one of the things about data in general is that it, you know, data, communicating with numbers, it's similar in a lot of ways to communicating with words. And, you know, when you're writing a story, you can write a serious story, you can write a sad story, you can write a, a lighthearted story. And you, there are ways you can do the same thing with data. And I think that's something that I've been trying to explore is uh, some of the more lighthearted, interesting stuff. Like, you know, a map of every goat in the United States, right. which actually exists. Like the USDA <laughs> has data for this. And so a lot of this is, and, and you know, and in terms of how this fits into the broader wonk blog um, goals, uh, you know, I think it, I think a lot of what we're trying to do is just explain the world 
that we live in. And, you know, the fact that the U.S. government devotes time and energy to take a census of America's farm animals every five years like, <laughs> in itself is really interesting. Right. Just the fact that this happens and then also what those numbers look like, those are also very, I, I think there's just a natural curiosity. Um, you know, like, I, like a lot of these, uh, it, it feels like kind of a, you know, sometimes you'll have a like a, a conversation at the bar when you're three or four drinks in and somebody's yeah. like, well, I bet there's more goats in my hometown than your house. You know, like stupid questions like right. that that people talk about every day, but then nobody thinks there is actually an answer to. Well, in a lot of cases, there are answers to. Yeah. And digging those kind of things up is really interesting. I look, I look for stories that, I look for stories and data and findings that surprise me, that, mm -hmm. that strike me as, oh, wow, I, I did not know that or I would not have guessed that. And that drives a lot of what I decide to write about. So are you starting with the question, like, do you have to go out to the bars every night to have three or four drinks and come up with a fun question? Yeah, that would be a really great project. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll pitch that to my editor and see what he says. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so a lot of so sometimes I'll start with a question. Um, so, so for instance, I'm working on a project right now. Mm. Um, this past weekend in the DC area, the weather was absolutely gorgeous, as I'm sure you're aware. It sure was. And I'm like, man, I could get used to this. And then I thought, well, where in the country is the weather like this most during the year? Yeah. And so now I'm working on a project and getting climatological data and I'm trying to find, okay, so I'm trying to create a thing where if somebody types in like a given range of temperatures between like 60 and 75 degrees, looking at county level map, which are the counties that have the most days where the average temperature is that high? That range, yeah. So a lot of it, it, it's like stuff like that where the stuff, it starts from a question that I have. But some of it, and, I, I, and I'm aware that this kind of breaks one of the cardinal rules of a lot of storytelling with data. But a lot of it, sometimes I'll just you know be poking around the internet and I'll find a really interesting data set. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I, just, I did not know that it, this exists. This is inherently interesting to me. Um, and so I'm just going to write on it or, you know, uh, chart it or, you know, make something with it and, you know, take it from there and see if other people are interested too. So, yeah, so I can imagine some people might be offended by that, just poking around. But on the other hand, it's one of the ways that it's just something that's piquing your curiosity, right? And that's, that's what all of this is kind of about is using data to answer the serious or the fun questions, um, so. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of times when when any of us here does the lighthearted stuff, you will inevitably get the, the reader comment, oh, this was the, the paper of Woodward and Bernstein, and now yeah. they're making maps, or now they're writing about llamas or whatever. You know, that right. that's going to happen. But, you know, in, in news in general, and this is not just like a modern development, like even back in the day in the 70s and 80s, like there were, you know, newspapers had the comic section and the horoscopes, and yeah. there was always this goofy, lighthearted stuff. And I think if you can be goofy and lighthearted and also methodologically rigorous, and have like uh, you know some some interesting uh, you know serious numerical grounding to what you do. I think that's a real sweet spot in terms of uh, just just showing people how numbers and how quantifying the world it can be. It, it can uh, solve uh, you know curiosity gaps, and it can also be really entertaining too. Right. Right. Okay. So when you come up with some of these questions that may be a little, even if they're not sort of you know, lighthearted and they're not sort of on the fun side, but they require some unique or hard to find data. Do you have um, a, a process that you go through or is it literally just starting to make phone calls and searching the internet to, to sort of try to, you know, just try to find something yeah. that will answer that question? Yeah, a lot, I mean, a lot of it's just plain old, like, like Google searches and yeah. phone calls. Um, you know, I, you know, I've 
developed like I've got a series of like go-to data sets and sources that I always check first. Like mm -hmm. I do a lot of criminal justice stuff. And so there are some certain criminal justice databases that have been proven to be really useful and that I turn to time and time again. Right. Um, one of the more interesting things that's happened in the last year or so is just with so much of the data on policing and crime is so bad because at the national level, it's all voluntary and it all yeah. goes to the FBI that a lot of places have just started crowdsourcing it and just started making it themselves. So there's a lot of really interesting uh, crowdsourced databases popping up. And, you know, with that kind of thing, you always have to be worried about, like, quality. Like, is this a legit data set? Like, is this, <laughs> right. you know, is it just is like some guy sitting in his basement? Like, yeah. you know, like, is, but is he being like, you know, it's not peer reviewed or anything. So you have to be careful with that. But like one of the more interesting data sets I found recently was this uh, this database that's uh, basically maintained daily of mass shootings in the United States, mm -hmm. and it's maintained by a Reddit community. And of course, Reddit's oh, yeah. this notorious online you know community with all sorts of you know uh, various individual communities interested in different things. And one of them just happens to be interested in guns, and they track via news reports and news stories and police blotters the number of mass shootings that happen on a daily basis in the United States. So there's a lot of, uh, of non-traditional data sources coming up in the past years that it, it's, it's an opportunity and a challenge because you have to, you know, have to make sure it's vetted, but it, uh, it's also telling us a lot of things that we weren't able to know before. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Um, okay, so uh, before we close up, so two quick questions. So uh, sure. as someone who uh, does sort of quick turnaround data viz and using uh, data regularly, so do you what are, what do you think is the most egregious data visualization error and then mm -hmm. related perhaps relatedly the mm -hmm. most egregious statistical error kind mm -hmm. of in in your in your field so the data visualization mm -hmm. errors you know you know a lot of people yell at pie charts and the non zero sure, baselines yeah, but you know is there anything that you see or that you've created where you you look back and you're like ah that was just really wrong or things that you've seen <laughs> that other people are doing that you're like no stop doing that yeah, well, I mean, and this might be kind of getting at both of the questions, but there's, uh, this is going back to questionable data, and I'm sure you probably saw Jacob Harris's thing that he wrote recently about how companies are, like, just kind of peddling all these random data sets yes. that they, you know, yeah. and so I get a lot of pitches like that. I get a lot of these weird pitches that are, like... I don't know. It's from like it's from these random websites. Like I don't know, and I'm just making this up. Like bestrestaurants.com or something, wherever. Yeah. And they're like, "Well, we saw that you wrote about marijuana the other day. Did you know that there are like <laughs> 2,000 you know marijuana rehabilitation centers in the U.S. And here's a map of them." And I'm like, "Why is bestrestaurants.com pitching me a marijuana map? Like, yeah. what is going on here?" Um, and so that you know that's that's a, a questionable thing, and I try to I try to be wary of those. So this um, is like the new version of direct mail. Yeah, it's like it really direct is, yeah. data visualization mail to uh, people who can put their get their message out there. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and some of it's really useful. Like some of the some of the countries or companies like you know Uber and um, yeah. you know Trulia, like they have actually really interesting databases yeah. that you want to get. But there's also just this like weird subset of spammy domains and companies that you're like, why do they? Why do they exist and what are they trying to sell? Like I don't understand. I don't. I don't understand the current connection between restaurants and marijuana policy. Yeah. Like, I just don't get it. Well, you know, you smoke and you get hungry. And you sure. Have to yeah. 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 That, that yeah. If Taco Bell wants to push like there a marijuana, yeah. Me, I'm going to accept that. You know that. <laughs> right. Taco Bell knows what's going on there. But you just you know, other random restaurants, I'm not sure. Right. Right. Um, I will say the and the 
the I think the biggest one of the biggest pitfalls with just just uh, numeric data reporting in general is just being afraid of the data and not doing enough of it. And you know, I don't know how many news stories, like traditional news stories, that I've seen from various outlets in the past year where they're like. They're reporting on numbers, or they're you know they're they're talking about something quantitative, where the data is out there and it's very easy to find. But there's like no charts, no links to surveys, no nothing. And there's right. there's still, I think we still need more numerical literacy in newsrooms and in the general public. And we're get, we're getting there, you know, with places like Wonk Blog and in the past year, the rise of places like Five Thirty Eight and Vox. They're they're all doing a great job of getting people used to different data types and different data sources. I mean, I remember. When I was at Pew, like 2007, 2008, I wanted to do a scatter plot of something, and everyone was like, "Oh boy, do people even know how to read right. a scatter? Plot? Like, what is a scatter plot?" Yeah. And like, now. you know, to me, those those questions don't even happen. Like, you know, yeah. everyone's like, "Oh yeah, scatter plot, this is cool." Right. Um, so I think uh, rising numerical literacy is a good thing, but we need a lot more of it still. Yeah, I, I agree. This is great. Um, well, I think we have to wrap up. Thanks so much for being on the show. It was really interesting. No problem. Thanks for having me. And thanks to everyone for listening. Really appreciate it. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another guest. Um, in the meantime, uh, be sure to hit us up, hit me up on the site if you have questions or suggestions. And be sure to rate the show on iTunes. And, of course, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast uh, provider. And we'll see you next week. Thanks so much. This episode of the PolicyViz podcast was brought to you by Socrata. Socrata is the global leader in software solutions that are designed exclusively for digital government and provide benefits for hundreds of public sector leaders and their constituents. The company's customers, among others, include the cities of New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. To learn more about Socrata, visit them on the web at www.socrata.com.